You are listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast with Buck Joffrey. Get ready to change your life. Welcome, everybody. This is Buck Joffrey, the Wealth Formula Podcast, starting off today by reminding you that there is an abundance of resources available to you at wealthformula.com. Check it out there. That is the place that you can also get a copy of my free uh, Wealth 1.0 book called Seven Secrets of Eternal Wealth. You can also get that by texting 44222 and uh, putting in the words Wealth Formula, one word. Again, this is 44222, Wealth Formula, one word. Also, that is a place you go if you are an accredited investor and you want to put some of your lazy money to work by uh, getting involved with our investor network. Uh, our credit investor network, uh, of course, uh, is the wealth formula uh, place where the magic happens. Um, if you're an accredited investor, what does that mean anyway? It doesn't mean you sign up for, you know, it doesn't mean like you you get a degree or, or that you um, have to do anything. You just either are accredited or you're not, sort of like being pregnant. Uh, it just means that you make $200,000 a year or if you're filing jointly, $300,000 a year, two years in a row, or you have a net worth of a million dollars outside of your personal residence. So if you meet those criteria, definitely check out the Investor Club. Again, it is where, uh, you know, this kind of theory stuff turns into reality. Uh, check it all out at wealthformula.com. Now, in terms of today, I have to ask you a question that I ask myself frequently. Where are you today? And where do you want to be? And based on what you're doing right now, is there any chance in hell that you're going to get to where you want to be? Uh, you know, those are the questions I actually ask myself frequently, especially when I feel like I'm in a rut. And I don't know, for some reason right now, I feel like I'm in a little bit of a rut. Now, why is it important to ask yourself these questions? Well, for those of us who are fortunate enough to have you know, a life where we don't have the burden of worrying about where our next meal is coming from, we have the opportunity to create our own destinies. And that is 100% truth. The fact that we don't have to hustle anymore, though, also increases the likelihood that we go on autopilot and live a life of what I would call abundant mediocrity. Abundant mediocrity is kind of the type of thing that I really want to avoid. In other words, it's sort of like getting fat, you know? I'm not talking about physically, but it's just like saying, I got, I got some, I don't need to do anything else. And if you don't care for more than that, um, I get it, and that's fine. More power to you. If that makes you happy, more power to you, but that's why you have to ask the question in the first place. However, if where you are today does not match where you want to be, make sure you do something about it. After all, listen, if you want to win the lottery, if that's your goal in life, at least you have to buy a lottery ticket, right? I mean, you have to put yourself in the entire line of fire of good luck, at least, right? It's not going to happen. No one's going to like just knock on your door, give you a lottery ticket, and then you check to see if you won. You have to go buy it yourself. You know, so in my case, here's my deal, right? I mean, I would love the opportunity to influence, um, you know, more uh, of the thinking of, of high-paid professionals, right? Uh, it's something that I get some joy out of doing. I feel like I make a difference in people's lives and, you know, in the process, um, do well for myself, too. I mean, I've done 
pretty well for myself financially this year. I'm, I'm happy the way things went. Um, and it would be easy, frankly, for me to sit there on my laurels and, and well, just congratulate myself in hopes of repeating my, uh, you know, my success the next year. And, you know, that's that's the danger you run into when you have some success is saying, well, it was pretty good. Let me just stick with it. And that might be OK. I mean, from a financial standpoint, it's not a big deal. Right. I mean, listen, you do really well. I mean, you're you know, uh, th- that's great. But however, for me. You know, simply repeating the success I had in, in so far in 2019 to the next year, it's really, it's just not, uh, it's not enough. It won't make me happy. In order to get where I want to be, I have to touch more people. You know, I am a big believer uh, in this Zig Ziglar quote, which I'm sure you probably know. It's, you can't, you can get everything in life you want if you will just help enough other people get what they want. So that's what what I want to do, right? That's my thing. I mean, that's not necessarily going to be your thing, but that's kind of what I do here with this podcast and everything. So the question I need to be asking myself is whether I'm putting myself in a position that maximizes how many you know, how, how many more people I can draw into the Wealth Formula community and therefore uh, spread this brand and this message in this community to more people. That's what I need to do. So if I'm not doing something actively to make that happen, well, then I'm not buying that lottery ticket, right? I mean, I'm not doing what I need to do in order to make that a possibility because uh, the chances of it happening just because um, just doing the same thing and hoping one day it pops and, you you know, you have 10 times as many followers or listeners or whatever, it just, it doesn't work that way. What about you? I'm going to put you on the spot. What are your goals? Maybe you want to add a zero to your net worth, right? A lot of people do that. Uh, they, they say they want to make more money. I mean, even that, you got to probably ask yourself why. But when you ask that question why and you determine I would really be happy with another zero on my net worth, then you have to actually put yourself in a position where that can actually happen, right? I mean, you're not going to get there by just investing in stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. Uh, that's not going to happen. And it, you, you're going to have to do something where you have a little bit of asymmetric risk involved. You may have to get you know, uh, into entrepreneurship or something like that. If you really want to take it to the next level, that's what you're going to need to do. And uh, you have to decide what it is. But at the end of the day, it's not going to happen if it's not in your trajectory right now. You have to make that within the realm of possibility with your facts. You need to change your facts so that you have a chance at getting where you want to be. Now, the reality is that when you look at the richest people in the world, right, and and let's just say, for example, you know, professional athletes or professional uh, entertainers, um, anyone like that, I mean, these people, they work their tails off to like really refine their craft before they become rich and famous, right? I mean, they, they, they didn't just happen to run into this. These are people who work pretty hard. And, you know, people who get rich from their investments, uh, people who are, uh, you know, um, taking some risks and doing some things that are uh, against the grain, um, you know, investing in things that everybody else thinks are a bad idea, uh, giving themselves some exposure. Well, that's how they get rich, right? Again, stocks, bonds, and mutual funds. And, and for that matter, even just investing 
um, you know, listen, investing in real estate is, you know, may get you some great returns, may get you, you know, 20, 30% annualized returns. But I mean, if you're looking to, you know, become, you know, go from like a half million dollar net worth to 10 million or something like you're going to need to do something even more dramatic, right? But listen, I'm not here to tell you that you have to change your life. I just want you to make sure that you are thinking about this and actively not becoming a zombie and regret that you didn't at least put yourself in a position where you are achieving, you know, your dreams, okay? Your dreams. Uh, Remember, you can't win the lottery if you don't buy a ticket. You just can't do it. So at least just go buy a ticket. So, you know, being a physician, dentist, or engineer, um, you know, you're doing that. You're doing that 50, 60 hours a, a week, and you're thinking to yourself, Come on, Buck. I'm good. I, I got enough going on. I get it, right? I mean, but listen, at the end of the day, um, your career and all the things that you do on a daily basis does not define who you have to be in the next five years. You know, you define yourself with your own efforts. Just make sure that you're thinking about it yourself, uh, what you want to do, and give yourself a chance. Now, listen, my guest on Wealth Formula podcast this week is actually a great example of a guy who's really created his own destiny. His name's David Phelps. Uh, David um, started uh, focusing on real estate and dental school because he started all of a sudden thinking about other stuff that really he wanted for himself, including financial freedom. And ultimately, he became a guy who not only had that for himself, but created that for his colleagues. Uh, he's uh, well known in the uh, dental community. Uh, and when they think of him, they don't think of him as uh, a dentist. They think of him as the guy behind financial freedom. He's a great example of, again, of someone who's taken his destiny into his own hands, uh, despite coming from a typical professional background, which sometimes handicaps many of us. So when we come back, David Phelps, Welcome back to the show, everyone. Today, my uh, guest in Wealth Formula podcast is Dr. David Phelps. David has owned and managed a dental practice for over 20 years in the past. However, like me, uh, he always had his eye on something else, which in his case was real estate. And he began investing with his father back in 1980. Coincidentally, I was in kindergarten in 1980, David. He certainly, and I, and I'm no, I'm not, not exactly a young guy either. So what? So what are you saying about me? <laughs> I'm just saying you are the grand. Okay. You right. you are a very experienced man. He certainly had his fair share of bumps and bruises along the way, as he's very open about. But he's now a nationally recognized speaker on creating freedom, building businesses, and investing in real estate. He's also the founder of Freedom Founders which is a mastermind community of primarily dental practitioners that helps guide them along their financial journey. David, welcome back to Wealth Formula Podcast. Buck, it is always a pleasure, always a pleasure uh, to, to be with you, talk to you, uh, you know, just to have conversations about uh, what we're seeing in the space, what people are doing, and, uh, you know, like-minded people, it's just, it's just, it's fun to fly with the eagle. So yeah, definitely. So to be here. Yeah. So, okay. So before we get started, it's been a while. You were on a, a while back, but you know, these audiences constantly grow. And, um, but so remind us just a little bit about how you ended up getting into real estate. Whereas, you know, most dentists who are in dental school really are just focusing on, Hey, you know, we're going to get a job or where can I, you know, how can I start a practice? 
I, I think it just comes from the fact, Buck, that I've always been a little different. Um, not in a bad way, but I've, I've, <laughs> I've, to some degree, I marched to my own own beat. I, right. I wasn't like I wasn't nerdy. I wasn't some genius kid that you know got all all A's in academics. I had to work for everything I did. But I think I think the the, the key element is is always inside me. There was an entre- entrepreneurial spirit. Yet at the same time because I was academically good enough to, you know, go on to be a doctor, lawyer, dentist, uh, you know, whatever, that that's kind of the path you took when you got patted on the head by your teachers and your yeah. parents and everybody said, well, you know, you can do this. And so, you know, you do, but that, that inside spirit that I always had, I guess never left. And so when I was in college, probably junior, senior year, you know, so I'm pre- prepping for the, the, the dental admissions test exam and, you know, starting to look, look ahead to the, cause that's the direction I decided to go is I'm, I'm reading some books um, besides organic chemistry um, and probably, probably not a wise thing, but I still, I had to. So I read books about how to invest money. Cause I, I, I knew someday I would have, hopefully have money to invest. And I yeah. wanted to be a you know, good steward. That's kind of how I've always been built in life is to, is to learn how to, well, you know, make money. Cause I wanted to be independent. Even as a kid, I, I, I had to go out and make my own money by doing work, trading time for dollars, mowing lawns, throwing newspapers, selling greeting cards door to door because my parents didn't give it to me. And thank God they didn't. They made me figure out how to do it myself. So, so I'm thinking in college, you know, someday I'll have some money and I need to learn how to invest it. So I read books on the stock market and mutual funds. And, and I, I found a few books on real estate and remember Buck, <laughs> Brock, Buck, this is back, this is back before we had the internet. Okay. So uh-huh. this is where you had to actually either you bought a book at Walden's bookstore or you went to the library, right? So there's no internet, online, anything. So I'm, I'm reading books about stock market and real estate and the real estate just hands down made sense to me. It was something that I saw that you could have control over. You could add value to it. And that just appealed to me. So that's why when I graduated college and started dental school the next year, and I told my, my dad, who was, who was a surgeon and not, I mean, an entrepreneur in, in respect that he was a, a surgeon, had his own office, but no, not doing real estate and stuff like I do today. And I said, dad, I'm going to be in here in Dallas for the next four years going to dental school and uh, I can either pay rent or we, and the key word was we could, could mm-hmm. own a property, rental property. Mm-hmm. And then, thank goodness he, he put his trust in me and flew down, uh, spent a couple weekends with realtors and, you know, look at properties. And really the, the main thing I realized from the books I read about real estate was, you know, it's about location. So kind of buy the worst property in the best area you can. And then we kind of dialed in the rest. And well, that little, that little formula worked for us. So maybe a little bit of luck, but then, you know, you have to create opportunity to have luck. And long story short, that property produced a, a capital gain that we split 50-50 of a little over $50,000. I took mine and parlayed that into more properties by using massive leverage buying subject to single family houses. That was my bread and butter that got me going. And the rest is kind of, you know, the rest of the story is, is, is real estate has always been a significant, significant part of, of my life. Yeah. Yeah. No, that's a great story. Now um, let's talk a little bit about, um, you know, the rest of the kids in the class. And you talk about this in the context of a gap what dental schools in particular don't teach you uh, and how you can overcome it. Now, this actually relates to more than dental students. And the sure. funny thing is, I think it actually even relates to people who get their MBAs. I mean, they, they don't know about personal finance. They may know how to be a manager, right? But, um, but how would you describe it? What is this gap? And, um, you know, how do you fill it? 
Yeah, absolutely. It pertains to a wide, wide range of, of people, Buck, that, that are, you know, highly educated. And I think the gap is, is practical application. Um, now you, you could go into, to get an MBA or you could be a finance major. That's one, one thing. And yes, you would have uh, theoretical knowledge to work in a certain environment, corporate, the financial world, and that might work there. But, but the actual practical, practical application of how does one create real wealth and wealth means you've got to me means you've got assets i love alternative investment assets as you do but you've got assets that will produce income for you and have and can have a growth component both of which are important to provide for you so you do not have to work for that income or that growth you you, you create it once you build it once you invest in it once and then it carries forward until the day you harvest equity and do something else so that's something that's never taught in school schools teach all of us no matter what level we go through it teaches us to be workers it teaches mm-hmm. to be workers in a system and you can decide what level of work you want to do and trading time for dollars for, you know, higher and higher dollars. But, but you and I both know that's not freedom. That is right. just getting, that's a ball and chain into a system that, that only perpetuates itself because the higher the income one achieves, it doesn't mean more freedom. It probably usually means more lifestyle. And that's, that's the conundrum. Yeah. And it's, uh, it's, it's no coincidence. I don't think either that that is the, uh, that it doesn't teach you to be an entrepreneur and that it teaches you how to become a worker bee. Because at the end of the day, if you think about where the educational system comes from, it's basically the industrial revolution, uh, brought over from the Prussian system. And basically it's, it's like a conveyor belt model, right? Um, and it gives you a certain amount of information at each point and then you're done and then it, you're off the, uh, conveyor belt and, you know, into the workforce, but there really is no, you know, for the people who, who were, uh, in charge of that industrial revolution, there was really no, uh, benefit in necessarily trying to train people in how to necessarily think, right. But rather to just do so. Well, and, and, and not to be like too political here. I'll try to keep it, keep it, <laughs> keep it low, but, but you know, really Buck, that's really what the education system is today. It is, is the education system wants workers. They don't want people to think. So we'll keep sure. that hush hush for another episode, but yeah, yeah. It, it, it's, it, it's, it's kind of continued on. Right. And so yep. that's, that's, that's not a good, good, good situation. Yeah. And the other thing I'll just add one more thing is there was recently somebody sent me an article about how they're going to require some financial uh, education in Pennsylvania now in great in public schools. And I thought, well, at first it's a, it's a good thing, but then you wonder who's behind the education, <laughs> right? And then, exactly. and if I'm Wall Street, I'm out there like sponsoring these educational <laughs> events, right? And saying, hey, you know, uh, let's you know, let's let's push for this whole thing that you call the accumulation theory. Now, talk about the right. accumulation theory, um, and in in terms of personal finance and why you think of it as a problem. Well, and also, you know, who sponsors that? Who sponsored that whole program? Exactly. Well, right. that's Congress and Wall Street got together and say, hey, we, we, we got a new one for the folks, and it'll be called the 401k. Started back in uh, the late 70s with, uh, with, the, with the, the bill and the, uh, the you know, finance bill that came out during that time. So, yeah, the accumulation theory basically says, Buck, is, is you know, go to work, work hard, be disciplined, uh, and, and scrimp and save and, and keep enough uh, after your 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 overhead in your business and after you pay your lifestyle and you pay your taxes, have enough left over that you're saving that up. Well, that's good discipline, right? That's good discipline. I agree to that point. Uh, you need to save, you need to be disciplined and always take something. I don't say off. I say, take it off the top. Um, meaning, meaning you need to carve that out. Now it's what you do with that, with that capital that you've, 
carved out. What you do with this is the key part. And so Wall Street and traditional financial planning would say, well, just stack it up and and give it to us. You know, give it to the financial advisor, the person who's going to manage it for you. Because face it, it's just the world is way too complicated. Right. You guys need to focus on the Krebs cycle and what you do and <laughs> let us take care of your money because it's way too complex. Right. We'll handle it for you. We'll give you an asset allocation. We'll set it up and and then, and then, and then someday when you're ready to retire, you'll be here. Now, the, the, the problem with that theory, Buck, is that when I ask my doctors uh, specifically who have worked with financial planners in different degrees, capacities, and I'll say, well, what did they tell you that you need to have in this accumulation pile of capital wherever they're putting it? How much do you need to have? And I'm hearing um, at a minimum, at a minimum, six million, more like eight to ten million. That's what they're being t- told. The mm-hmm. doctors, and and these aren't people that are high, high extravagant. They just they kind of have a normal doctor's entitled lifestyle, you know. And 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 they're telling me you need eight, ten million dollars. Why? Because you're going to stack this money up. We have, and and oh, here's the other thing, Buck is is so they'll put you in the market markets, right? A lot of equities, maybe some bonds, and and they'll it's kind of like the roulette wheel. And they'll say, we'll do that while you have active income because, you know, you can suffer the downturns. You just, But when you retire from active income, oh, we're going to go conservative. Now, now we're going to pull your money off and we're going to put it in T-bills and maybe maybe bonds. Or we, Why? Well, because we can't afford to, to take the risk anymore. Oh, so that's a good plan. So now they have the Trinity rule that says, well, now you have this big stack of accumulated capital. And, and, and because we can't, because we've never taught you or we don't know how to create a regular, consistent, predictable cash flow. We're gonna we're gonna let you pull out. It used to be four percent. Now they've 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 downgraded that from like two to three percent. We'll let you pull that much out of your principal each year to go along with whatever mm. minuscule amount of cash flow we can. And, and that's the game plan. Right. Well, problem with that is 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 getting to six, eight, ten million dollars today. Uh, it's not impossible, to, but it's very very difficult. And you're gonna sacrifice a lot of your life, a lot of your family time. And probably working way longer than you have to trading time for dollars if that's the goal. Right. So the other side, you know, is this is how we look at it. We talk about cash flow first. What is going to produce cash flow? Uh, it's totally opposite of what the accumulation theory teaches. One more point I would add to the accumulation theory in um, an article I recently read uh, pointed out, I think, uh, you know, in, in a very important way that this whole idea is based on you know, what, what a lot of, I think a lot of professionals are told is that 4% rule. So the 4% rule uh, is that basically, you know, you save this pile of money and then then if you spend 4% per year or less that, you know, you you won't outlive your money, right? That's the, that's fundamentally the, uh, the, the, the theory, the problem, another one of the problems here is that the data used to create the theory uh, was accumulated between 1926 and 1976, which is, I think, a little outdated. I mean, this is, <laughs> maybe <laughs> this is outdated. And then the other problem of that is that if you think about where we are in the world today, regardless of the financial issues that occurred between that period of time, there's never been a time in history with lower interest rates. And uh, to your point, later in uh, during retirement, your these portfolios tend to go significantly towards fixed income. So bonds, other things that, uh, you know, are not equities. And at that point, you know, what did those depend on? What does the yield on those depend on? It depends on interest rates. So if you, we live in an environment where it's, you know, you literally have negative interest rates throughout the world and we're probably headed for them too. And if you're relying on the 4% rule between 1926 and 76 for that data, 
and you're applying that to a world of negative interest rates, you may have a serious problem on your hand. So, yeah, no, absolutely right. Is 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 we the the world and the dynamics of our really global economy have changed so much, continues to change that. Yes, if you're using old models, old data, uh, it has no relevance today. Yeah, it, you have you have to go by totally different models today, and it's it's contrary to how we were brought up. If you're brought up in a family that was conservative and talked about saving money, for instance, uh, and then going to a, a retirement period, uh, then then yes, you you put your money into fixed income that was conservative, and and when rates interest rates were higher, that worked. But yeah, yeah. today today the government, the way the politicians are are running things, kicking the can down the road, uh, they're stripping away the retirement of seniors who worked really hard and, and thought they were doing the right thing, and you can't do. Unfortunately. You have to play the game. I say, I say, instead of follow the money, follow the debt. So there's the other model, of course, the next model that really that you're talking about, which is, you know, the cash flow model, right? Um, here's, here's a question for you. Now, let's say, uh, because people talk about this uh, to me sometimes, say, my goal is to replace my income, right? My goal is to replace my income with passive income. So how much do I need to do that? So now it becomes an uh, activity of sort of working your, you know, doing the math backwards there. Right. And if you say you make a half million dollars a year and you actually want to replace that with a half million dollars a year, um, and you're getting, say, an average all in of about 8% cash on cash, you're still talking about six million something mm-hmm. bucks, right? I mean, in that case, though, in theory, it just never goes away. So it's not like you're just waiting for stuff to run out. Um, but is that is that the way you see it, or you know, one of the things that I talk about is you know velocity? But how how do you approach this with people who ask you that question? Well, yeah, I mean, you're right. The first thing you do is you look at what's the income run rate that they they want to replace. Basically, basically means what's their lifestyle. And, and I talk about just today. Look, look, you can you can prognosticate all day long about what inflation is going to do, and I believe we're going to have have inflation. But let's just talk about what do you need today to replace if you weren't going to do anything else, trading time for dollars. What do you need? So, so that's that's the first benchmark. And what a lot of people think is when I ask them that question, they think, well, well, David's asking me really uh, what's that, that top line number. And I need to put in a lot of margin in to cover this and this and this and this. And mm-hmm. what is, I say, no, no, don't do that. Start with, get that number down as relatively low as you can. I don't mean living an austere life, but get it down low because I call, I call that in freedom founders, the freedom number. When the freedom number is, is in a relative basis, not stacked way up to 500,000 a year, then we, then you can hit freedom much earlier, and when when you hit freedom, financial freedom, then the other freedoms uh, uh, come into place very very quickly. And if you're anybody at all who thinks differently, and you're not ever looking at retirement as your game plan, then your ability to take real freedom when you're not you know chair side doing surgery, the things that we're taught to do, when you can create some space in your life, and you've got a, a brain that lets you explore the things that your your run rate. Uh, and the capital cash flow that you can achieve and, and develop will expand. Look, it happened for me, and I didn't even realize it was going to happen that way. It happened for me. I see it happen for other people. I'm sure it happened for you when when you when you when you when you separate yourself from active income, doing the surgery that that you well can do and did. Um, I'm I'm sure you had a certain number you want to hit, but I'll bet you that your number has increased because why? Because you're focusing on the capital assets that continue to drive this number and you know, it, it goes further and further. So 
I wouldn't start with, you know, that big, big number that you think you got to have that's going to last you for 25 years because it's going to grow if you, if you invest it right. Yeah, I think you're right. And, um, you know, in my case, uh, everything that you said is true. Um, you know, I started thinking I need a number and at this point, you know, I, I, I do a lot better than I ever did with the knife in my hand. Right. Right. But, um, what I'll, what I'll tell you is that one of the things that sort of sneaks up and it was an aha moment for me is, as you mentioned before, not only are you getting, uh, you, you know, you focus on cash flow, um, but I tend to focus on the um, cash flow, but as much on that as I do the the asset itself, because what's really been, I think, a big turbocharger to that, um, you know, to the to the numbers is when you have a liquidity event, and then you convert that again to a bigger asset with more cash flow, you know, that kind of thing. So um, I talk about that as velocity and, and basically the idea of being like, how quickly can I deploy capital? And, you know, most people just think of it in a very linear sense is I get this money in my pocket from my paycheck. I can put that much in and that's gone forever in a retirement fund. And to me, it's like, how quickly can I keep getting it back in my pocket and deploying it out again? And that certainly has helped to accelerate things. Yeah, when you're in a in a state building mode, you're you're wanting to create more wealth uh, through the right assets, capital assets. Then, then yes, velocity definitely plays a big part of that part of that. And 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 you're right. I, so you know, we talk about different buckets of money and, and which ones to work harder. That velocity part and 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 that takes um, more intention. It takes a little bit more active involvement. Not necessarily you doing the work yourself, as, as you you and I both do. We we find other people, right. the right people. I call it the you know, the jockey on the horse. The horse yep. is the asset. The jockey is the operator. The deal sponsor. Those things have to fit together very very well. But yes, when you can deploy capital through other people and the right assets, where you have that velocity, then yes, that's you know again, it's got to be risk adjusted. We're different parts of the market cycle. It's not just throwing money at the wall and saying it's all yep. going to, but being very discerning about that. Yes. Uh, when you get to a certain run rate, um, you still may want a certain proportion of your capital to have the velocity uh, because you, because either you like it, you're in the game, it's fun. Yep. Uh, and, and how much do you want to be involved with that? Some people think that's work. I think it's fun. I'm sure you think it's fun, right. uh, but still you want to have time for your family. So if you start amassing you know, a larger amount of capital, then the velocity is not so important. Now it's more safety, yeah, right. uh, you know, that kind of thing. So it's breaking it up into tranches, I think yeah. is what, what works. Yeah. So I use this <clears throat> equation. I talk about saying, you know, wealth equals, you know, mass times velocity times yep. leverage. Right. And, and I, I think it tends to work really well. And the key though, is what you pointed out. The math works. I'm a hundred percent sure the math works because I've seen it over and over and over again. But the key is, like you said, that it's a matter of people, the jockey, because one of the th questions I get, <clears throat> Dave and I, I bet you do too, is what about these platforms and I, you know, Yield Street or this, that, and the other. And I'm not saying anything bad about them, but to me, those aren't jockeys. That's yeah. tech. Those aren't people. And uh, those aren't people that you can kick the tires on and, and understand who they are. You really got to get the people right. I think you and I both uh, talk about the the network eating, uh, you know, equivalence to a net worth, and uh, you know that is a is a huge aspect of this uh, whole equation. Yeah, the people part is, is is essential, and every time we reach a, a point in the market cycle like we are now, uh, where 
credit's wide open. There's a lot of liquidity created by the Fed. Uh, there's dollars chasing yield everywhere. Uh, then raising capital, if you're a capital raiser and you've got any kind of deals, then it's, it's relatively easy. So you can have money pouring at you for anything. And and that's where I think investors have got to be even more prudent. Uh, when the markets, you know, after you come out of a recession, then like, you know, almost anything you do, if you have any, any, any basis at all of understanding, you're probably gonna make money. We're at a point in the market now where, where no, that's not the case. Yep. And, and, and eventually this thing tops out and that's where we'll see where the tide, tide goes out and uh, those who are, are, are running naked will be exposed to, so to speak, you know, it's, it's, it's what happens. Yeah. So let me ask you this because I think there is a lot of concern about the markets and, uh, I couldn't agree with you more. I think there's a there's a situation out there right now that I think also is potentially dangerous. There's a lot of people getting into the, um, you know, the, just the general syndication game, right? If you listen to any podcast or whatever, everybody's raising capital, and it's not with any specific uh, operator. It's basically whoever will let them raise capital, and um, you know, there's just a lot of dangerous stuff in the ecosystem. So the question is, and, and again, like when you, like you said, if you did this back in 2012, 2013, you would have looked like a genius no matter what, right? But now it's different. And the question is, how do you handle it? And you wrote a Facebook post uh, that it was long, but it was very thoughtful. I'm wondering if you can kind of, kind of talk a little bit about some of the main points uh, about how to potentially look, uh, you know, how to approach an economy like this. Yeah it, was, yeah, it was about the general economy, uh, which certainly pertains to both your personal economy, uh, which could be your, your business, your personal life, your personal budget, lifestyle. And I, start, I think I started out, I don't have it in front of me, but I think I started out with, with number one, this is a time in the marketplace where instead of continuing to grow, expand lifestyle, and I'm not saying not to expand business. Look, I'm, I'm all for capitalism and, and expanding the right way, but the key is the right way, the right time. And I think, again, there's a lot of exuberance in the marketplace today. People who even went through the last downturn have forgotten many times. And it's almost, it's almost like when you start following the majority, you just start to believe what other people say that may have not a basis for that understanding. So you just kind of get in that mode of, it's okay if our lifestyle goes up a little bit more. It's okay if we extend a little more credit and buy some stuff on credit because, you know, it's all good. It's all good. And business is good. And our investments are good. And it just feels really good. And, and that's actually a time when I think right now would be smart for people to get like all lean and lean and mean. So it just means cutting out the excess stuff that you don't need in your personal life, in your business. Because what, what do we really need when, when there's a downturn or reset? Well, we need margin. We need cash flow margin, mm -hmm. big time. That's the that's the bloodline that feeds everything. And when the, when we have a reset or downturn, the credit market sees up, uh, and and so this access to wide open credit today, lines of credit, HELOCs, credit card. If you got a decent job and a credit score, yeah, it's wide open again, like it was uh, ten years ago. That shuts down, and then your business uh, or your even your cash flows from some of your investments may not be hitting the mark that they are today. Doesn't mean you've lost money. It just means yield compression takes it down. Well, yield compression will happen in a business too. You've got to be able to ride the, through the gap, the narrows during that mm -hmm. time, mm -hmm. which, which will be, you know, give or take 18, 24 months to come out where the other side, where there's, ah, you can actually start breathing a little, little bit again and people start spending money or, or, or buying things again. So that, 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 that's the, that's one of the key things uh, I talked about, about debt, which, which also, you know, what kind of debt do you have? Uh, do you have debt, debt that's uh, short-term, variable rate, callable, uh, 
type of debt that, uh, again, can, can take people down? Or do you have long-term fixed rate debt on good businesses, good investments uh, in, in equities, if that's what you're doing, that, that you just ride through. You don't have to be a net seller. It's people that have to be a net seller during a downturn because they, they have callable loans, they have too much leverage, and all of a sudden they have, they have to create liquidity because the banks are calling loans, not because they're defaulted, they defaulted, but actually because the banks need capital. They have capital calls. And who do they go to? They go to their best borrowers. Why? Because the best borrowers have some assets they know they will liquidate. That's you and me and other people who have worked really hard to do the right thing. Don't buy into that, right? You've got to be careful about the kind of debt that you're holding. And uh, and, and it starts either paying some off or securing the short-term debt long-term. Fix it. Now's the time to do that stuff. Um, those were a couple of two key things I think I talked about. Um you remember, remember anything else that I'd thrown out I there? I remember there's a lot of wisdom in there, but I can't. <laughs> <laughs> but let me, let me ask you this. So you talk about a couple things here. Um, in the markets, uh, you know, people have been talking about um, it is hot. There's no question. And people have been talking about recessions and downturns for a while, though. Now, it's been at least probably four years. Right. And so that's a lot of time not to invest and to sit on capital. Is it... What, how do you, I mean, how do you approach it? I mean, are you, are you, do you time the market? Are you trying to time it? Or are you just trying to be more cautious? Yeah, I don't, you can't time the market. It's more, I look at big, big waves and, and you're right. You know, I, I, back in 2015, before the 2016 election, I honestly thought that the election would go the other way. And had that, had that occurred, I do believe we would be in a much more recessionary environment, probably right now. So I was, mm -hmm. I was predicting that, that scenario based on the election. So I was actually harvesting or selling certain equities back in 2015. Okay, you could look now and say, well, if I would have kept those, they would have been gone up much higher. Yep, you're right. But what I did is I took those equities and I repositioned them in other assets that I, I know from experience are, are, are more, more fungible, more liquid. So I, I can be more maneuverable. I think that's the key thing you want to be is you want to be able to maneuver you need some some amount of liquidity or cash or near cash equivalents. Um, I think you, I you know, while I still invest in equities today, um, I'm very particular about which ones. I'm focused a, in a lot of cases on the cash flow, more cash flow today, because I think there'll be a time to ride back up the equity game again. Uh, so so while there's still equity opportunities, I'm more cash flow focused in what we call the capital stack of investing or financing, you know, the capital stack, the, the safest place to be as investor is in a senior loan position where you own the debt, right? That's, that's, that's considered very safe. Now your yields will be, be, be lower in that case. And you don't have an equity play typically, unless you have convertible, convertible debt debentures, but that's a safe place to be. So you might want to position some of your portfolio in that safer part of the capital stack. You've got to decide. You got to break it up, and then and then the, the places where you, you go higher up the, the capital stack into either preferred or common equities, which is where the growth opportunities are. Just again, know what you're investing in, know who the operator is, evaluate uh, what the potential is there, and then at the same time, always be calculating. And you got to do this by your you do this yourself, but through other other people who who help you understand this. What's the downside risk? What what are the risk adjusted returns? So if, if in today's market you're investing in an equity of some type that provides a preferred return, cash flow return of say eight percent, and it's got a projected, you know, internal rate of return, the IRR, the, the realized and unrealized gains down the road, three, five, seven years out, uh, of say sixteen or eighteen percent, 
we know there's a lot of those out there today. And, 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 I, and I think they, those are viable projections if we don't have any major net downturn. Now, let's say we have go back to 2008 and things slow down, credit cycles, uh, the credit markets freeze up. That 16 to 18% on a risk-adjusted basis might drop down. I might, depending on what bucket in tranche it's in, I might want to reduce that in my head. But anywhere from four to six, heck, if it's really, in my mind, a little bit more speculative with higher returns, maybe even 8%. So I knock that off and go, am I happy with seven or 8% in that kind of a market? And if I'm happy with that and I don't lose principal, you know what? Thumbs up. I'm good. But that's what you have to look at. Yeah, it's it's an interesting uh, exercise. I think like, uh, you know, to me, in, in many regards, I judge the performance of, um, you know, the operator currently and think about it can you cut it in half or cut it in a quarter and still be uh happy and um in many regards i think like having the right uh operator you can kind of go into that and as long as you feel like very confident capital preservation at the very least you know eventually the nice thing about you know the things that we buy they're real and eventually they'll turn around right but you just got to make sure that you're weathering the storm and and in many regards that's kind of my personal way to approach it because again the the markets are a tricky thing and as you've mentioned before and I agree 100% these are unparalleled times um you know it, an interesting talk that we had uh uh Dave is uh, at our last meetup it was Dave Steele who's uh one of my partners at Western Wealth Capital and uh, he did a really interesting talk that I thought you know was compelling and and something that I hadn't thought of he put up a slide showing the U.S. with uh, interest rates where they are right now and then compared it to the rest of the world. And right now, compared to the rest of the world, our interest rates are pretty high. His thought was, you know, given where we're headed right now, he, he, was, um, he was suggesting that we may actually see rates go lower and potentially even negative like the rest of the world. Which I don't know that it's, um, you know, I, I, I don't necessarily see uh, any reason to disagree with them if you look at the macroeconomic picture. And if that happens, you know, we're really in a situation where that just continuously raises asset prices. So in a way, you kind of have to hedge your bet right now, right? Um, you have to say, okay, well, you know, if, if, if interest rates continue to go down, asset prices are going to continue to go up. But, you know, there could be something really bad happening in the economy in between that time. So can I manage, if that happens, do I, am I comfortable with capital preservation? Um, but the timing of the market is extremely difficult. Yeah, yeah, you're, you're, you're absolutely right. I agree 100% that I believe that interest rates with the macro look at, at the economy. Uh, there's a high potential that that's where we're going just if you study economics at all, you, you can just see where, where we're, we're headed with that. And you're right. Uh, that will uh, increase asset values. And so, yeah, hedge, hedging's everything. And you said it, I said it, is is you've got to be in investments and business that can ride through that gap. So when I'm investing through other people, through syndications and funds, I want to know that they know, they get they get it. And that, that they are set up so they can also manage through that period of time. Because, yes, on the other side, we're fine. We can get through there and we're fine. That's the whole key is hedging and having a position that you can ride through even the, you know, the narrows uh, of, of a, of a market reset and make it, make it through in good shape. David, this has been a really good conversation and I could keep talking to you for a long time and, you know, um, love to invite you out to, to our, our next meetup in the next six months. But in the meantime, tell us about what you're doing. Tell us about freedom founders and, and where we can find you. 
Well, sure. Freedom Founders, uh, the website is freedomfounders.com. And as you said uh, early on, that because I was a dentist, I actually still am a dentist. I'm still licensed. I'm probably pretty dangerous, but uh, I'm still licensed. So, so, you know, my affinity group, the people I speak to are the people uh, from whence I came, right? Uh, Not that what I do is really any different than what you do with a a broader range, but I guess it's just kind of my tribe. So we have primarily dentists uh, in our group, but we have, we have, we've got some veterinarians, chiropractors, some MDs, you know, we don't do anything clinical, so it all fits. But yeah, we probably probably a little more camaraderie in the dental arena. <laughs> so, so you guys are smarter do. with money than us. <laughs> I, who knows? Who knows? Who knows? I mean, we're we're we're, we're, all, we're all trying to make it happen. But yeah, we we enjoy uh, you know our, our live events and and just you know we a lot of teaching like you do a lot of do teaching due diligence. We want informed investors. Uh, I never want to be the guy who who's like the Pied Piper and leads people. I want people to understand I have a bias. I have experience in certain areas of my life. I always tell people, you know, I've got a bias. Here's why I think the way I do. But talk to other people because they may have a bias towards something else and you need to figure out what your pathway needs to be, not what mine is or somebody else is doing. Fantastic. Dave, uh, it's always a pleasure. Thanks again for being on Wealth Formula Podcast. Thank you, Buck. Be right back. Welcome back to the show, everyone. Uh, I got to tell you, I do love talking to David Phelps. Great guy. And he's a great example of someone who's really done well for himself while really, you know, positively impacting the lives of so many of his colleagues. And all I can say, as I hope I can, you know, have as much impact as he has uh, during his career. Um, I do want I do want to remind you uh, before I go here uh, to take what I've said earlier uh, in this podcast to, uh, to heart, though. I mean, survey your life. Where are you? Where do you want to be? Um, you know, you can't be a 747 traveling at 500 miles per hour uh, without a destination. You know, and that's what a lot of people are. You know, they're just a, you know, growing 100, you know, 1,000 miles per hour uh, with no particular destination, no particular goal. So identify what it is that you want and do something um, to give yourself a chance to make it happen. I don't do a lot of these kind of uh, self-helpy things, but I got in this mood today, I think, just thinking about my own stuff. So hopefully it will inspire you uh, or someone else next to you. Who knows? Anyway, that's it for me this week on Well Formula Podcast. This is Buck Joffrey signing off. Thank you for listening to the Wealth Formula Podcast. Visit us on the web at wealthformula.com. The information contained in this podcast are opinions, not fact. As always, consult your own financial team before making any investment. See you next time.